five years on from the Paris Agreement entering into force, the urgency to limit global warming to manageable levels has never been greater. But while decarbonisation has shot up the public and corporate agendas, big questions remain about who will pay for the transition to a low-carbon economy. In this podcast, we'll be exploring concrete actions to finance the transition, both in terms of government support for greater private investment, as well as what companies can do to finance their own net zero journey. With me to discuss these fundamental issues is Guy Miller, Zurich Chief Economist, and Johanna Cobb, the Insurance Group's Head of Responsible Investment. Johanna, I'm going to start with you. Financing the transition to carbon neutrality will no doubt feature heavily at the COP26 meeting. What is the current level of government commitment for financing net zero and to what extent do they fall short of the amount required? I think in general, we can say financing our journey and our transition to climate neutral economy will be costly. But the question is always compared to what, right? And we do know from various studies that the cost of inaction will be much, much, much larger. So we need to come together from the private sector and the government sector to make sure that we can finance the transition. I think that will be a big question at COP, is especially how we can help emerging markets and countries that need to build a lot of infrastructure and might not be privy to that funding or might not be able to access it themselves, how we can help them transition as well as everyone else. Um, the numbers that people are talking about are huge. If we use the IPCC, which is widely respected, I mean, they're talking about $90 trillion is going to be required over the next 15 years to get the carbon neutrality. That gives you some idea of the scale of the problem. And clearly, you know, it's going to be requiring all parts of society to contribute. I mean, critical to success will be, of course, providing at a government level clear direction, consistent taxonomy. We know simple frameworks to access funding. And some kind of market-based system really to allow a misallocation of resources or capital given the amount of funding that's required. So all of these things seem to have to come together in order to make this a realistic goal given the size of the gap that we need to fund. And Guy, there has been a lot of talk about green sovereign bonds. What sort of appetite is there in the market for this type of financing? And how should governments target their use and issuance of these bonds in the future? Remember, the green government bond market is still relatively young. I mean, it was really only in 2017 that France really got the momentum going when they issued their first sovereign green bond. Sovereign green bonds still represent only about 0.3% of the tradable government bond market worldwide. So it's tiny. But the great thing about that is it offers huge opportunity. Governments can finance at the incredibly low levels. And right now, there's a huge appetite on the investor base to get a long-duration green assets. And a good example, just as a proof point, is that recently the UK government issued its first ever sovereign green gilt. For that $10 billion offering, there was $100 billion in terms of appetite. And this is why it's so important that governments take advantage not only of their record low funding costs right now, but also this huge appetite from an investor base to help fund these very important transitions that need to happen. And Johanna, how is Zurich's investment criteria changing and does it offer more opportunity to investee companies looking to finance their net zero transition? Yes, definitely. But not because we're changing our criteria. We're looking at companies differently. And I will tell you why. We've made a net zero by 2050 commitment to decarbonize our entire balance sheet. If you are looking at decarbonizing an entire portfolio, it becomes very important who is how carbon intensive who becomes a transition risk 
who is at risk of stranding and accordingly is a very bad investment, and who those companies are that will transition themselves and that will be part of the winners tomorrow. And we're also a big impact investor, and our target is to avoid 5 million tons a year of CO2 through impact investments, be that green bonds or direct infrastructure debt in renewable energy. We have a couple of clean tech private equity funds, and we'll keep looking for new tools and new opportunities out there to keep making those investments. Guy, companies have been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic, no doubt, and many lack the financial resources to invest in the green technologies required to achieve carbon neutrality. What should they be doing to attract investment and how will that help pay for the transition? The macro environment is extremely good. Global growth is very robust and perhaps most importantly, given the transition that's required, funding costs are at record lows, both for government and for for companies. So as a result of that, companies are able to tap the financial markets. There is a huge amount of liquidity that's out there. Investors are awash with cash as well. So they're looking to deploy these funds. So companies are able to show that they want to transition, move their business model forward to more greener, sustainable footprint. They're finding that actually it's relatively easy to raise funding from that perspective. Now, smaller companies, it's more challenging But even for the smaller companies, we're finding that the funding costs available from an individual, for a small company and for a large company perspective, it is allowing these companies to make that transition. But a very important point is that this environment may not last forever. So it's important that companies act quickly and they use this window to capture these funds while they're still available at their low funding costs that are currently achievable today. And Johanna, the green bonds market surpassed $1 trillion in cumulative issuance at the end of last year, a huge leap given that these bonds only started being issued in 2007. How can green bonds help the private sector as it looks to transition to a clean economy? Well, they're one of the tools disposable for companies that are looking for external funding to go to the debt capital markets with their transition plans. Now, if companies have specific projects, whether that's renewable energy generation or transmission, whether it's energy efficiency plans, whether it's also resource efficiency, circular economy plans, we need to change mobility, low carbon transport. A lot of those come in the form of projects. And those projects are exactly what can be put into a green bond and placed at the market. Now, there's also a second tool that is new, which are sustainability linked bonds, where the use of proceeds is not earmarked, but it's more a general purpose bond for a company in transition. So companies setting science-based targets, how they will, for example, reduce their carbon intensity with specific milestones, or how they will increase the percentage of renewable energy in their electricity mix with specific milestones, they can go with a sustainability-linked bond to the market where they will actually step up in coupon if they miss their targets. Okay, and finally, Guy, what are some of the risks involved in adapting business models to a net zero framework? And how can organisations build long-term resilience to climate change as they take concrete short-term action? Well, I mean, we always look at the the risks and that's very important, but one shouldn't forget the opportunity. This massive transition that we're seeing is going to create a multitude of opportunities for nimble companies that are in a position to capitalise on that. If you think about the next-gen recovery fund in Europe, the infrastructure projects that are happening in the United States, all of these, I think, will create profitable windows for companies to step in and benefit from this. So it should not just be the risks. There's no question, however, that risks, of course, 
will be there as well. Also, in terms of thinking about it holistically, one always must remember the could be unintended consequences of some of the actions that they take. So I think companies need to look at their full value chain that they have, both in terms of their suppliers, their production, their own businesses, and then how they meet their customer needs. I think they have to think about the whole process to make sure that they don't get caught out or find that there are unintended consequences that can be costly. But I think also the very important thing, of course, is about being adaptable and flexible, perhaps more than ever now. Not only do we have the direct impact from climate change, but of course, we're likely to see a regulatory impact as well, and companies must be well positioned, I think, for that. So I think one should think about the balance of risks that are there, but also the opportunities that will be created as we all make this massive shift towards carbon neutral. To add on to guys' opportunities, right? I mean, in the search for funding, of course, building new infrastructure and building new business models, technologies is, is, is costly. But we sometimes forget that there are also saving opportunities. We'll need to work a lot on energy efficiency. It doesn't work if we keep using more energy and electricity and then, of course, need to shift the entire systems behind it. Efficiency gains save money. Resource efficiency gains, if we move into a more circular economy, save money. Looking at different mobility opportunities and now what we learned in the pandemic, going more virtual and flying less is good for the environment and good for our CO2 balances and emissions, that also saves money. So there's a lot of opportunity also in going about this in a very smart way. And it's good for companies to think that through. And last but not least, what we need, really need to spur this all is a good price of carbon, because many of the economic decisions we're making today, we're making and they're guiding us to wrong conclusions, because the emissions that we really need to bring down are not priced properly. Johanna, Guy, thank you very much for your insights. And to our listeners, check out other episodes and related content at zurich.com forward slash climate change.